Keep She Shatters and She Burns fans, this is Hannah Austin, your host for the She Burns podcast. I'm excited to announce that my first book, Hello Head, Meet Heart, is now out on Amazon. For more tips, tricks, and ways that you can burn bright and not burn out, visit me on Amazon at Hello Head, Meet Heart. Happy reading! Welcome to the She Burns Podcast, the go-to podcast for women who were born to burn bright without burning out. When you're at the top of your game, the difference between handling the heat and boiling over comes down to the right self-care advice at the right time. And if you're ready to take your seat around the campfire, these interviews with inspiring women will help you keep your flame alive. Hello everyone, I'm Hannah Austin and this is season two of the She Burns podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Nikki Kett. Nikki is a former collegiate athlete and All-American swimmer at Kenyon College. She worked as a college swimming coach for nine years, working with athletes at John Hopkins University, University of Pennsylvania, and most recently the University of Michigan. She has seen at the highest level how pressure to perform impacts student athletes in the pool and in their lives, as she has coached multiple D1 NCAA champions and Olympic medalists. Nikki is passionate about understanding how humans can live at their highest potential. She works with teams and coaches to help athletes create emotional well-being and achieve their goals, both at the individual and team level. She believes the key to resiliency and stress management is to create environments where emotions are welcome and addressed in healthy ways. So welcome, Nikki. I'm so excited that you're here today with me. Why don't we start with you telling me and our listeners a little bit about your story? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. A little bit about my story. I I grew up as a swimmer. I was a collegiate athlete at Kenyon College. And throughout my four years of swimming, learned a lot about myself. I had an amazing coach who really cared about culture and developing people and helping them reach their potential. He actually won... 54 NC2A titles in division three. So really just great at bringing that out and sometimes said really tough things to help people, you know, see where, where they needed to have that own growth. So, um, my swimming career really impacted me as a person and, and shaped everything and how I viewed the world. And so I went into coaching after collegiate coaching. After that, I started coaching at Johns Hopkins. I also coached at Penn and then most recently at the University of Michigan. So kind of got to the highest level of sport. And what I loved most was the personal development piece of it. But I also realized that there were some things that I was unwinding for myself and how sport had impacted me and how it impacts women, their confidence. And I was kind of in this like constant overachieving cycle. I had two graduate degrees. I was at the top of the sport coaching Olympic medalists and still felt like something was missing. Like I didn't feel fully confident in myself. I was irritated. I was frustrated. And I always thought the answer to that was to do more. Um, So I started to unwind these patterns for myself And I knew I wanted a change. And so I kind of combined my own work through coaching and therapy, got certified as a life coach. And now I'm kind of using my, my degrees, which were in sports and exercise psychology and organizational dynamics, kind of understanding 
individual motivation, how culture impacts people and their motivations. And also I think how it impacts women on a, a deeper level, just living inside patriarchy. So Absolutely. A little bit about you've married like all of your background together, right? You've got to have the education, the experience, being in the sports world. My husband and I watched at the price of gold this past weekend from on HBO. And I thought to myself, why have we not figured this out yet? Right. Why are we um, dedicating so much time and energy and support and love and faith into these um, athletes only then after the Olympics for it to be nothing. Right. And no support and whatnot. So I'm just curious, um, you know, and looking at the mental health piece and in in the athletic world and then transitioning that to your own coaching practice, um, you know, especially around resiliency and stress management, you know, as a coach, how are you creating an environment where emotions are welcomed and addressed in healthier ways? And then how do you have that bigger culture span, right? Because you're, you're addressing one person at a time, or maybe you do group coaching, however you do it, but it feels like such a big topic to overcome and tackle. And so where, where do we begin? What, what's your answer to that? Yeah, such a good question. And I think there are so many layers of it, but I think the more I reflect on sport, it is, and the, the more pressure there is to compete and to mm-hmm. perform, it comes from, I think a place of scarcity where you're not, you're not enough as you are. And, and that creates even more fear of our emotions, of our flaws and kind of just a lot of shame around, you know, I'm as an athlete, if we're struggling with our mental health, will you have this image that you're a gold medalist, you're supposed to be that really tough, strong person. And then you want to hide those flaws even more. Mm -hmm. And the only way to cope with that, what you've learned is to achieve more, to reach the next outcome, the next thing, instead of actually slowing down and embracing your humanity. And I think like, I felt that as a woman in sport, when I was surrounded by a lot of men who also had a lot of pressure to win and, and get their athletes to perform and how that was communicated to other women that they were coaching. And I was even told like, don't you, you have too much empathy. Like you got to turn those emotions down. You got to just tell them either get in the pool or, or go, go somewhere else. And so I think I had to do that reflection for myself because I had a lot of shame around my emotions. And so I think the more like safety and coaching, Uh Uh um, being in spaces with other women that go through this and knowing that that's so normal and having other women support you and, and other men support you too. And just like normalizing that, you know, especially in the last week, like what we're all going through collectively, we feel that yeah. and there is a reason for that. And that's, that's okay. But the more we can talk about it and create space for that, the more we make it safe for our flaws to be okay. The less we have to compete for our, our worthiness. So I know there's a lot in there. But yeah, there is. There's a lot to unpack. And sometimes it seems so overwhelming that people don't even know where to begin or should I even start? And I think doing your own piece, like you said, and kind of your own world or whatever realm you're in is being supportive of women, being supportive of other athletes or non-athletes, because it doesn't just happen with athletes, right? People compare themselves all day long. You get up in the morning, you're on Instagram, you're constantly scrolling through everybody else's feed thinking they're so much better than me when the reality is they're probably doing the same with you as well. So I think it's just acknowledging each other and, and as a human first and a producer second. And I think when I think back to my career and something you said earlier really hit me um, is 
the production. If I'm not a gold, gold medalist or I'm not producing this or I'm not getting top scores at my sport, who am I? And I think a lot of athletes, especially as they retire um, and when this, they're off the stage and the race is over, you look yourself in the mirror and you say, who am I and what am I to myself and to other people? What other things do I contribute? Let's talk a little bit about, you know, you coaching athletes and then after all of the pomp and circumstance and that adrenaline's gone the next day after a race and you did, whether you did well or you didn't do well, what is the question that athletes are asking themselves? Um, should I do it all over again? Or is the question, who am I, or is it a combination of both? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think for swimmers, it's almost like what's next. Mm-hmm. And I, even last year, it's, you know, we, you win the big 10 championships and then the next day it's like, okay, we got the Olympics in three months. There's, there's not even really always that space to slow down and to reflect like, Mm -hmm. what did I do really well that I want to just embody and celebrate myself for like what, what people overcame last year on our team and, you know, the mental health struggles with COVID and just a lot of things that had to happen that we had to go through. It's, it's just not a space where we sit down and really celebrate what we mm-hmm. did well. And to reflect, honestly, like, where did I, where did I fall short? Mm-hmm. Can I take a few days in that and really understand how did even my thinking mm-hmm. impact that? And how can I implement something to change that versus just like, we're just going to keep doing and doing and doing because mm-hmm. we got the Olympics and we got to go right yep. now. No time, no time to reflect um, other than what could I have done stroke wise or sport wise or jumping a hurdle and things like that. You talked a little bit about COVID. What has this year been like in relation to your practice or coaching practice in relation to COVID? And how did you navigate kind of the COVID waters that are never ending? It seems like. Well, my, I think my lifestyle has changed so much because mm-hmm. I started my business last April. Mm -hmm. So I've had so much more space in my life to, to feel and process. And now it's really just me. So I notice when I'm going into over overdoing, I'm, I'm making this choice now. If I'm stuck in my, (laughs) yeah, like I can't blame my boss for being an (laughs) asshole anymore. (laughs) Like I can't blame that person that I'm pissed (laughs) off at. Like it's just me. And, and so I think that's been really powerful, but there's still so much processing. Like I am still processing last year. And I think everybody is, if you're almost pretending that you were unaffected, you're going to struggle even more because denial. I mean, we went through a pandemic. We went through the Me, me too revolution. We went through systematic racism in our country. Now we're going through a potential a, a war. A war. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> yeah. literally, literally we've been through so much and people still have not even processed mm-hmm. or create space to acknowledge. Like it's so heavy. Yeah. And if we don't really have compassion with ourselves, I, I think, you know, I get stuck sometimes. And when I'm stuck, it's like, I need to go for a walk. I need to meditate. Mm-hmm. I need to feel this because until I feel this, I'm just going to be like hitting my head against a wall. Absolutely. Knowing the, the, 
the athlete in you. You're always going to be an athlete, whether you're retired or not, or whether you're a coach or not, because it's ingrained in you, right? But knowing those patterns from before, what pressure did you place on yourself this year as compared to last year? You talked a little bit about you want to reflect and you want to, you know, take walks and, and give yourself some compassion, but truly knowing that you're kind of a type A personality, what were you like, this year is going to be different and, and has it been, and what have you done? So this year I really just made an intention to feel more and to make room for all of it. Mm -hmm. And I think because that allows me to, to speak my truth more Mm -hmm. strongly, like the more safety I have and just feeling and yeah, yeah, it's like, it's crazy because I have so many moments where I'm crying (laughs) and sometimes it's like, I'm, I'm grieving the last year or I'm just feeling the heaviness and letting that be okay. But then I also have these moments where I'm like crying, but I can't, I'm like, I can't believe this is my life and that I get to be alive and human. And this is all a part of that. And so, yeah, I just, I've never really experienced that before because I've been so used to like, just go, go, go all the time. So yeah, that's like been a really great, just new, new developments. Like I think my body actually feels safe to, to feel more. Tell me a little bit about what's kept you up at night. So of course, when you're feeling things, you've got your heart going, your head going, your heart, your soul going, what's kind of keeping you up like 3am when you're laying in bed, what are you thinking about? You know, like we're, we're able to have this conversation and I'm, I can say this to you and you totally get it. And that's what keeps me up is there's so many people that don't understand this and there's so much unnecessary suffering. Yes. So it's, it's on the one hand, like having compassion for people that are stuck in those cycles of performing, controlling, achieving, Mm -hmm. but also like, how do we, how do we change this? How do Mm -hmm. we continue? How do I continue to share this in a way that it resonates with people and cause just, you know, one person doing that work and, and shifting it, that's how we can really change. Absolutely. Our, and our because you've been through it before and I've been through it before the rock bottom, the crying, I, I don't know. Some days I'm like crying, but some days I'm like, I'm loving life. I'm like, am I bipolar or is that normal? Yeah. And I think it's normal. Let's, let's go with the normal. But I think when people try to ex- ask me, what do you do? Or how can you help me? why would I pay for coaching or what exactly are you going to do for me? It's hard to describe um, a state that you're in now versus the optimal state that you could be in, right? Because you have to share and show someone um, that there's a better opportunity or life for them. And trying to explain that is very challenging, right? Well, I totally get what you're saying. I think keeping, keeping both of us up at night is you know that there's tools and tips and tricks and stuff that you have to work through to get to the other side. Um, but if you were to told me that a year and a half ago or two years, I'd be like, I'm not going to pay for a coach. <laughs> I yeah. don't need a coach. I have a therapist. pay for you it. to feel your feelings. Like, no thanks. I'll I just keep... pay you to get to do more work for me. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of a challenge. I totally get it. I love that you take walks and I know you have a dog, but what are some other coping mechanisms that you've tried? What you would say to our audience, like, you know, meditation sounds great, but those of us who really have tried to meditate and it doesn't work for us, like what are the things would you say are super helpful in times of just what the hell's going on with the world? Right. I was always one of those people that I had a hard time uh, meditating because I was like, just always thinking. And so for me, I actually 
started doing breath work, which has really helped. I think it's, it's more of like a doer's meditation. So you can, um, yeah, just really start focusing on your breath and it, you'll start to feel it in your body. And that was like, you know, your when your hands are tingling and yep. there's energy moving, like, I'm like, Oh wow, this is what it's like to actually be in my body. So mm-hmm. that if you're a high achiever and you're like, in that overthinking cycle, I think breath work is a great place to start. And I also just have to put things on my calendar. So if it's, it's journaling, I like to journal, I like to read, but I have to make that intentional Mm -hmm. space for it. Otherwise it's like, it could be the last thing. So I recommend just like, can you, can you create five or 10 minutes to journal, Mm -hmm. like get some of your look at your thoughts when, when you're really in and stuck in a negative emotion, um, or something that just feels like you can't get out of it. Mm-hmm. Just start journaling. Like, what am I thinking right now? What, how am I judging my feelings? Yes. What am I not allowing myself to feel? Yeah. So that's also something that I think is helpful. I think getting it down in black and white, and it's almost like for you, like you said, for those doers, like I wrote something down and what I wrote down, I got it from out of my head and onto the page and I actually can see it. And I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense because it's actually on the page. It's really yeah. a helpful way. Kind of flipping it a little, you know, it's been a dark time for many of us for a long time. There's also been bright spots during COVID, right? And especially starting a new business um, as a female entrepreneur, there's a lot of dark spots, but there's a lot of bright spots. What is one bright spot for you this past year? Like when you close your eyes and you think about, God, how far you've come, what would what would you say? I mean, it makes me emotional, but in 10 months, I've already made more than my salary. Yeah. Just seeing like how that's impacting other women and the results that they're having is like, if I just come back to that, then everything is is okay. You got a big smile. (laughs) We're like, it's not working. Yeah. But I think when people start out with a business, I mean, just for those listeners on the phone, that's rare. Nikki's a, a rare bird. Not everybody makes that much money in a year, but um, when you tap in, it's a true testament to when you tap into what you're really good at and and whether you're uh, religious or not, what you're destined to do and finding connections with people, that is when, you know, the intersection of bliss, um, talent, um, mission really aligns and it brings you those gifts, you know, money's gift, time's gift. And like you said, you're fully living in your body. Isn't it interesting though, how as an athlete, you would think that you're living in your body because your body is the vehicle that's getting you results, medals, wins, whatever. But would you say that you are now more in your body as a coach and living what you're living now versus being an athlete or can you even compare? Yeah. I mean, I don't even think I had awareness of what that actually meant as an Mm -hmm. athlete. And in a way it was constantly like bulldozing through my body. Mm -hmm. I've, I actually have, I had a spinal fusion in high school. So I had, um, scoliosis, I wore a back brace and I've always had a lot of chronic pain and muscle tension from that. Mm -hmm. And it, it's really weird. I've started to notice like a lot of my chronic pain, the more that I process my emotions and I'm mm. in my body yes. is like dissipating. Wow. <laughs> so, or um, the edibles that you're taking either one, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that too. I know you went okay. to Palm Springs recently. <laughs> so did I, so <laughs> she shatters does not sponsor any brands at all. associated with edibles. <laughs> Just star, star, 
Just exactly. <laughs> Please read below. Just kidding. Um, so I love getting advice from you because you're very candid and you're very natural um, advice giver. What advice would you give to our listeners regarding resilience? And I know that resilience with a capital R, right? Especially through COVID. Now that we've been through, you know, phase one, phase two, I don't even know what phase we're in right now with COVID, but what would you say to our listeners around resiliency? If they don't even, one, know what resiliency is, or two, how do you practice resiliency and what's the best way to become resilient if you don't even know where to begin? Yeah, I think it's so, I always come back to the belief that the only way that I'm not going to figure it out is if I stop trying to figure mm-hmm. it out. Yes. And with that belief, you can always evaluate what can I learn from this failure? What can I do differently? What can I do better? And, and deciding that you can't do something is, is really the only way that you're mm-hmm. not going to be resilient. So just continuing to figure it out and get support. I think that's really hard for high achievers. For me, it was always really hard to ask for help and guidance. And I think it does come from that competition. It's like the shame of asking for support and help. And it's so powerful for us to be like witnessed and heard and seen and validated that for me, it's, it's becoming safer and safer to do that. So I would say, trust that you can always figure it out, but Mm -hmm. also be, be okay to ask for, for help or or have the belief that you can invest in yourself and ask for that help, which comes as a result from believing that you can figure it out. Absolutely. And what would you say to those people that say, I don't need help, but they obviously do need help. Do you feel like it, they need to get to a rock, rock bottom point, or do you feel like they need to get a ha ha? Like what's the quickest way? I mean, I know so many people want to say like, I want to be fixed or I want this fixed tomorrow, but what would you say is like step one and step two to really get on the bandwagon of moving forward, taking that step forward when you're so stagnant and you're afraid to make a decision and you're stuck? Well, I would, I always ask, how's it been going for you to try to figure it out on your own? <laughs> <laughs> like we always say, I'll figure yeah. it out. I'll figure it out mm-hmm. on my own. And yeah. yeah, you may figure it out on your own, but what if you could solve the problem that you're trying to figure out? on your own, or you've been mm-hmm. trying your entire life to figure it out and, and you could hire someone and they can help you figure it out in six months. Absolutely. And then what's that's the rest of your life going to look like once you figure that out? I think it's that, you know, you hit the nail on the head. It's that untapped potential. And one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize about coaches is we're not going to solve the problem for you, right? We're going to ask you, put it back on you. What is it that you can do? What is it that you've tried? Oh, you've tried that before. How did that work for you? Right. Asking those questions. And I always like to think of coaches as, you know, unlocking the answers that are always inside you, but standing beside you along the way. Right. We're going to be a passenger. You're going to be the driver. Um, But isn't it more fun when you have someone beside you cheering you on, rooting you on the runway, holding you accountable because you're holding yourself accountable and bringing snacks too. I think that helps. Seriously. Yeah. I I just had a client so funny. She just sent like DM'd me something and I was like, well, you should share this, I think. And she's like, well, how would I do that? I'm like, what if, or she was saying, I don't know how to do that. Like, what if you did know, (laughs) but I just need you to tell me, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to tell you because I want you to trust yourself to figure it out. Yeah, no, it's fun. Well, and I think one of the things that we had a reset reignite retreat last week and, you know, I had so many high hopes for like hundreds of attendees to attend. And, you know, as a new coach, 
I mean, hundreds of attendees to 10, it's not a realistic goal, right? And I think bottom line is, you know, what type of impact did you make in people's lives? Um, and I think being a coach in general, like, like you said, you can start with one person, you can start with 10 people. The reality is it's the impact that you make, but you have to have people um, want to make that impact, right? Want to walk alongside you and partner with you um, as a team. So that's what coaching is all about. Tell me a little bit about um, what you do for fun. So I read your bio earlier and it's a lot of, you know, Nikki has five degrees and she's a swimmer and she's fabulous, which I totally agree with. But what do you really do for fun? Like on the weekends, what can people see you doing? I just love all different types of music. So um, I recently moved to the DC area and love going to concerts. Yeah. I I went by myself to a John Mayer concert. Oh, I love him. He's still he alive. So good, even though he had co- he he had COVID. He's like my most of my band has COVID, and I may have it too. They were there. Showed up. He didn't have his band play. He had oh, okay. a stand-in drummer, and he's like my throat. He's like singing "My Body Is a Wonderland." Oh, he's like, my throat kind of hurts. Oh. And then the next day announces that he had COVID. But I got to go. <laughs> see John Mayer play. So I'm always looking for concerts to, yes. to go to. Well, and you live in DC that restaurants there are incredible. And I don't know if you're single or not, but I've heard there's a really good nightlife going on over there. I am single. Recently. Everybody can well, be single. Yeah. DM her yeah. later. So hey. Shoot me a DM. <laughs> if you want to come to the DC area and yeah, see you know, go to a John Mayer concert. <laughs> COVID. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to, I guess we've already kind of switched to the fun part of the program, but here's where I get to ask you some kind of food for thought questions. And you guys, the audience who knows, um, I always ask these fun on the demand questions that nobody ever knows what the questions are going to be. So if I told you, you could only live one place in the entire world. And I gave you a first class ticket to get there, where would you choose to live and why? So this is going to be such a typical Nikki answer, but I would live in Disney world. (laughs) Disney World. Oh my God. I am a Disney fanatic. Okay. Um, yeah. And they're like starting to build Disney neighborhood communities now where they like take what? the magic of the parks and that feeling and create them in different cities. Where? So, Is there one in DC? I think there's, I think they're creating one in like the LA area. Actually. Oh, that makes sense. That is truly yeah. a Disney World there. <laughs> yeah. But here's why is because it's kind of like the mat, the magic you experience in coaching, right? When you change your life and you're like, I can't believe that this is my life. Yes. Going to Disney world is similar for me. I grew up with it and it's always like the one place that I could go where I felt totally safe. I, Mm -hmm. I was just like a kid. I was in the magic of life. And I know that there's a lot of, there's a lot of like issues with Walt Disney and culture, you know, my, my ex, I took him on Splash Mountain. He's like, do you know how racist this ride is? <laughs> I'm like, uh, no, but Thanks please enlighten me. He, he did a lot of um, study of, you yeah. know, he's in uh, doing a PhD in African-American history. So he enlightened me about a lot of my ign- ignorance around Disney, but I still love Disney World. <laughs> Disney World. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I can't wait to tease you now on Instagram about Disney stuff. <laughs> Okay. Here's the second one. What is one thing that you would love to learn to do, but you are scared shitless to try? I would say singing. Really? Yeah. I, 
I feel like I have a very good singing voice. And my, when I really sing, people are like, damn, <laughs> I'm like, I would never get on a stage and sing in front but, of But you've done it before. Then people have heard you. So it's like where in your house or like, yeah, like my parents or in the car or something. Uh-huh. I'll just, I've always been, it's, I guess the music thing again, I've always been very musical mm-hmm. and I feel like I have a good voice, but I also am like terrified to actually sing in front of people just well maybe you could be like a backup singer for um, John Mayer maybe next <laughs> maybe maybe I'll do something with Brittany she's been really Ooh, that is good she needs some help right now so that'll be perfect <laughs> really uh throwing throwing herself out there on it <laughs> <laughs> that is my favorite answer of the season so far is singing and Disney World I honestly I think most people tell me you know Bahamas, I think another one of my guests said Bali, you know, somewhere international and you chose the Disney world, which is the best. <laughs> yeah. I seriously ask anyone that I start dating. I'm like, how do you feel about bringing a family to Disney world? If we were get together, that's actually a really good question. Cause a lot of people are anti Disneyland and Disney world. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like a number one dating question, right? I'm like, don't say for an engagement ring, you, <laughs> you got to get ready for our Disney vacation. Buy me a ticket to the park. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Well, my friend, we're wrapping up. I know it went really, really, really quickly today, especially when we're talking about edibles and Disney World. So (laughs) thank you so much, Nikki, for the conversation. The work that you're doing day in and day out every day to create environments where emotions are welcome and addressed in healthy ways is so crucial to building a resilient world. So thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your journey with us. Hearing Nikki talk about her journey highlights the importance of treating athletes as humans first and athletes second. As women, we are all searching for what lights us up and keeps us healthy. And together, we can learn how to burn bright and not burn out. To our listeners, for more information on Nikki, please visit her on her Instagram page at Nikki Ket Coaching. Thank you for joining us on the She Burns podcast. We are so grateful for your time, energy, and support. For more tips, resources, and tools on how to burn bright, please visit us at sheshatters.com or on Instagram at sheshattersllc. LLC.